Hi there. Today, we're continuing in our series, Good News for Everyday Life, where we're seeking to better understand and apply the gospel to our own lives. And as I've been thinking about the gospel over these weeks, it struck me that the gospel is a bit like medicine. It's something that helps to solve a problem, and that, of course, is why it's such good news. But it's also struck me there are different kinds of medicine. Some medicines just deal with the kind of surface-level symptoms. They're about symptom management. Painkillers are a bit like that. Painkillers just deal with your experience of the pain. They don't affect the thing that's causing the pain. They are symptom management. But then some medicines work deeper. They tackle the root causes to deal with the thing causing the pain. That's what antibiotics do. They seek to kill off the bacteria causing an infection. They're not just dealing with the symptoms you're experiencing. They're dealing with the very root cause uh, below it. They're designed to take away the infection. And I wonder if we often think of the gospel as a bit like a painkiller. It's symptom management. It deals with the surface level. The problem deep down we know is our own hearts, that they are so often turned away from God. The bad things we do, the rebellion against God flows from that. But then the solution is this painkiller of forgiveness, which deals with the symptoms of the wrong things we do. But of course, that leaves the underlying problem. What about the root cause? Are we destined to always be bad people to never change? Well, the really good news of the gospel is not only the good news of gospel forgiveness, that God deals with the symptoms, our rebellion against him, but actually it's also the good news of gospel in Pam, that God wants to change our very hearts. The gospel is not just like a painkiller to manage the symptoms, it's like an antibiotic to actually tackle the root. And that's what God wants to do in our own lives if we're a follower of Jesus, to change us, to work on the root issue through gospel in Pam. And of course the reality is in this life we never go reach perfection. The illustration is a bit imperfect. The antibiotic can totally take away the infection. In this life, we're never going to become perfect. We're always striving to live God's way, to best honour him as much as we can. But actually, the wonderful good news of the gospel is that through gospel empowerment, we can expect in this life to experience genuine change. We can expect to grow. We can expect to become more like Jesus. And so part of the good news of the gospel is that it gives us power to change, to become more like Jesus, which is to become more like we're meant to be, we're designed to be, and living as we're designed to live will always be the root to fullness of life, to our best life. That's why this is such wonderfully good news. And I think one of the places we see this in the Bible is in Galatians. That's one of the letters in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders. And the bulk of Galatians is all about Christian freedom, that we have been forgiven. We've been put in a right legal standing with God. God looks at us as if we've done everything we should have done and nothing that we should not have done. That's what Paul means when he talks about justification. And Paul's particular point in Galatians is we are justified, put in that position through faith in Jesus. We don't also need to keep the Old Testament law in order to be justified. Actually, the law can't help us. The law can't save us. The law can't change us and make us more like Jesus. Faith in Jesus is the thing that justifies us. It's when we trust in Jesus, in what he's done, in the promises he's made, that's when we're justified. That's when we get this wonderful freedom. But then if you read through Galatians 5, you'll find there's a turning point in chapter 5. Paul's been talking about this freedom we have in Christ. He's saying you're free, now don't give up that freedom by submitting again to these laws which can't actually save you. But actually, 
He wants to make sure we don't misunderstand what he's saying and misuse that freedom. He wants us to know what true freedom is really about. True freedom isn't the freedom to go off and do whatever you want to do. True freedom is being released and empowered to live God's way. And so that's the turning point he reaches in chapter 5. How do we now live God's way in this freedom? In verse 13 of chapter 5, he says to us, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He's saying you've now got this freedom through faith in Christ. You are justified, but don't now misuse that. Don't use that as an opportunity, he says, for the flesh. And the flesh is a a word Paul uses in various ways throughout his letters. Here it means kind of our, our human self, our human person in opposition to God. It's the part from which our sinful rebellion against God kind of springs up from. He's saying you are now free but don't let that be an opportunity for sin to take over in your life. Don't think that opens the door so you can do whatever you want to do and just keep on rebelling against God. Rather, he says, this freedom is an opportunity to serve one another, which is kind of a shorthand Paul's using in Galatians 5 for living God's way. He's going to talk about loving our neighbour, basically, in these next two chapters, chapter 5, chapter 6. Serving one another is how we live out God's way That's what freedom should look like in our life. That's what freedom should do in our life. And Paul tells us we can truly enjoy Christian freedom, not by letting the flesh take over and lead us into sin, but actually letting the spirit lead us into God's way. That is how the gospel is wonderfully, wonderfully good news. It offers us empowerment to change, to live God's way, to become more like Jesus. And leading on from that verse in chapter 5, Paul talks a bit about what does it look like to live out this freedom to live God's way. So let's read what he says, start again in verse 13 of chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers, and they do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what does Paul say here about how the gospel empowers us to change, to live God's way? How does it deal with the root issue and not just the symptoms? Well, first, Paul talks about power from the Spirit. Paul says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. The way we take this freedom, not as an opportunity for the sinful flesh, but to live God's way, is by walking by the Spirit. And what does that mean? What does that look like to walk by the Spirit? I think there are two parts, two halves, really. Two stages, maybe. First, it starts when we come into the Christian life. 
When we become a Christian, a fundamental change takes place. We're taken out of the sphere of the flesh. We're in opposition to God. And we're placed into the sphere of the spirit, leading to obedience to God. That's something Paul talks about, particularly in places like Romans 8. But also, I think there's an active, ongoing walking by the Spirit. There's an allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us, to change us, to transform us. You know, the wonderful truth is God himself, the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of every Christian. He is dwelling in us, and he works in us to transform us, to change us, to make us more like Jesus. And when Paul talks about that work of the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, I don't think he's primarily talking about amazing big moments of encounter, although those happen and they're great. Actually, I think he's talking about allowing God to work in us, to transform us in day-to-day life. That's part of why this is good news for everyday life. And the way the Spirit does that is the Spirit transforms our desires. Notice verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the spirits are against the flesh. Paul says the important thing is our desires, what deep, deep down we long for, because ultimately how we act flows from our desires. Ultimately, we'll always do what deep, deep down we really want to do, which, of course, is exactly what Jesus said. He said what we do springs from what's in our heart. Matthew 15, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, from the core of our being, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Paul's saying when we sin, we rebel against God, actually that's just an overflow of what's already in our hearts. And so what we need as Christians is not just to act better, we need actually to be transformed in our desires deep, deep down. And the reality is our actions will never change if our desires haven't been changed. And it's as we walk by the Spirit that the Spirit transforms our desires. And that means our our aim in Christian life isn't just to do more of the right thing and less of the wrong thing. That's obviously still quite a surface level. Actually, our aim is to become the kind of people who instinctively do the right thing and live God's way. It's the difference between someone who's kind to you because they kind of feel they ought to be kind to you, but they do it a bit begrudgingly, or someone who's kind to you because that's just who they are. It, It flows from the core of their being. And it's at this point that Paul starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit are the the results of that inner transformation, those new desires. And notice in the verses we read, Paul is contrasting the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are the, the sinful things, the rebellion against God that we do when we let our human self, opposed to God, that fleshly part of us, have control. And they are things we do. They are works. Things, Paul says, like sexual immorality, idolatries, fits of anger, envy, drunkenness. But there is stark contrast then with the fruits of the Spirit. Because notice Paul doesn't say the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. It's not the same wording. It's works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit actually are not things we do so much. They're characteristics. They're not about doing. They're about being. About being a certain kind of person. And also notice their fruit. Fruit grow kind of organically. They grow, they develop over time. These fruit grow in us. They're about growing to become the kind of person who is like Jesus, the kind of person who lives God's way. God doesn't just want you to act like Jesus. God wants you to actually become like Jesus. And that's what gospel empowerment 
empowers us to do. That's how God equips us. It deals with our deepest problems. So we can experience that change by taking us out of the flesh, placing us into the realm of the Spirit, by filling us with the Holy Spirit, allowing him to dwell in us, and then us getting to invite him to change us, to transform us, so our very desires deep down are changed. So we are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, and we live God's way as an overflow of And so how does that happen? How do we get transformed by the Spirit? How do we walk by the Spirit in this way? Well, I think it happens as we connect with Jesus. And as we kind of open ourselves up to the Spirit, as we allow him to work in us, we make space for him to work in us, in our hearts, in our lives. And for 2,000 years of church history, the primary way that Christians have put that into practice, made space for the Spirit to work in us, is through what we might call spiritual disciplines. Habits we put into our life which help us to connect with God and allow the Spirit to work in us. Things like Bible reading, prayer, fasting, taking a Sabbath, worship, serving, gathering with other Christians. These are the things the Spirit uses to shape our desires, opportunities for him to work in us. So the gospel empowers us to change, dealing with the root problem through the power of the Spirit. Helping us to walk by the Spirit. So we're transformed at the fruit of the Spirit to be like Jesus. But then also the gospel empowers us through freedom from the flesh. Paul talks in these verses about that opposition, that tension and competition between the Spirit and the flesh. Walking by the Spirit helps us overcome the desires of the flesh. But also he tells us we can have freedom from the flesh. Did you notice the last verse we read, verse 24 Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, as a Christian, you've not just been forgiven by God. You've not just been given the Holy Spirit. Actually, you've been united to Christ. You and Christ, united together. You hidden in him forevermore. That means what he went through, you've been through. When he was crucified, you were crucified with him. And Paul tells us here and tells us elsewhere that our flesh, that part of us that's opposed to God, that sinful part of us, because we're united to Christ, was crucified with Christ. It has been dealt with, it's being dealt a damaging and decisive blow when Jesus died. And now the flesh hasn't completely died, it's still hanging around, a bit like crucifixion was an instant killer, but actually the flesh has been changed and disarmed. We know it's still there. Paul says the Spirit helps us to resist the desires of the flesh. We know it's still there. But actually, it has been disarmed. It doesn't have the same strength it had. It doesn't have the same power, and it doesn't have authority over us. If you're a Christian, the sinful flesh has no authority over you to tell you what to do and control what you do. And we can overcome it by the power of the Spirit. Elsewhere, Paul uses the language of slavery as an illustration to kind of talk about this idea, in Romans 6 particularly. He says that actually the sinful flesh and the power of sin over us was like a slave master. And a slave master in the ancient world could tell their slave to do whatever they wanted and the slave would have to do it. They were under their authority. They had to be obedient. But Paul says now, because we've been crucified with Christ, we're no longer under that slave master. We've been set free. We don't have to listen to him. He has no authority, no uh, control over us. We don't have to obey him. You know what? He might still hang around, though. He might still be shouting commands at us. He might still be trying to tell us to do and to lure us off into his fleshly ways, but we don't have to listen. He has no authority over us, no right over us, 
The flesh has been crucified with Christ. And so we, by the power of the Spirit, can choose not to obey. As we walk by the Spirit, allowing God to transform us, we'll find that we're able to resist the temptations, the passions, the desires that come from the flesh. Because the Spirit empowers us, and because the flesh is being decisively weakened. I sometimes think of this as a bit like a, a jar. You look at a jar, you think it's going to be incredibly hard to open, you're never going to be able to do it. You put all your effort into doing it, and to your surprise, the lid comes off. And what you didn't know, or you didn't realise, or didn't remember, is someone had already loosened the lid for you. It looked like it was going to be impossible, but actually a lot of the work had been done. You know, in the Christian life, temptation comes, and it can feel so strong, we can feel so weak against it. But actually, we're empowered by the Spirit. And as we seek to, by the Spirit, resist temptation, to flee from it, we find we turn that lid and it comes off. Because the flesh is being crucified with Christ. It looks really powerful, but actually, Christ has dealt with it, giving a damaging blow. It has been weakened. It has no authority over us. So freedom from the flesh is part of how God empowers us to be able to change and to live God's way. It's part of God dealing with the root cause, the root issue, not just the surface. The gospel is just such wonderfully good news because it is God's solution to the, the whole of our problem, not just the surface in gospel forgiveness, which is wonderful in and of itself, but actually in the deepest problem of changing our hearts, changing our desires, our core being. The gospel empowers us to change, to live God's way. The power of the Spirit transforms us as we walk by the Spirit. He grows the fruit of the Spirit in us so we become the kind of people who live God's way. And actually, we also have freedom from the flesh. The flesh has been crucified with Christ. It has no authority, no power over us, and we have the power to overcome. And that, for us, presents us with some challenges. Are we, are you walking by the Spirit? Are you allowing the Spirit to transform you? Are you making space in your life for him to do that? Maybe the question for you is, what can you do this week to put these practices, these habits into your life to make space for the Spirit to work in you? And there are challenges about the flesh. Are you living in recognition that the flesh has been crucified? Do you let it lure you away and convince you it has authority? Or do you stand up to it knowing you're empowered by the Spirit and it has been crucified? It has no say over you. Or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never actually responded to the gospel. Maybe both the surface and the deeper level are still a problem for you. Well, friend, you can respond today. This can be good news for you today, dealing with forgiveness of sins and gospel empowerment that you can change to live the way God created you to live. You can respond even today in your own words, just expressing your heart to Jesus. And if you do that, please do get in touch with us. We'd love to talk with you, tell you more about Jesus and what it means to start following him. But I'd love just now just to pray that the Holy Spirit would be working us and equipping us to live out this good news. Father God, we do thank you so much that you love us so much. You don't just forgive us, but you want to transform us deep, deep down. Thank you that we are empowered by the gospel. We have the power of the Spirit to walk by the Spirit, to be changed and transformed. And we've been freed from the flesh because it has been crucified with Christ. And God, we say we want to take hold of all you've done for us, all you've won for us. We want to put this good news into action in our own lives. And I pray, please help us to do that this week. Even now, speak to us, challenge us in things we can do. Help us to live in all the freedom you've got for us, to enjoy life with you through gospel empowerment, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.